Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Our interview guest in today's episode is our old friend, Andy Markovitz, Manchester United fan and University of Michigan professor. Before we get going, you can sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. It has all my writing, including 13 magazine-style stories in our first four months and lots of free posts as well. That's grantwall.com to get my posts in your email inbox the second they go out. Gift subscriptions are also available. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. Let's go. Our guest now is my dear friend, Andy Markovitz, the popular University of Michigan professor whose books include Offside, Soccer, and American Exceptionalism, and many, many others that you should check out. He has a new memoir out called The Passport as Home, Comfort in Rootlessness. Andy, it's great to see you. You're the beloved frequent guest of my show, kind of like... Charles Grodin always used to be on David Letterman. Are you comfortable with that comparison? Oh, are you kidding me? I'm very, very comfortable and very honored. I love Charles Grodin. I love Letterman. So yes, yes, that's it's wonderful. You couldn't do it better. Well, it's great to see you and congratulations on your book. I've, I've read it. It's terrific. There's a lot in there. Some of it's soccer, and we're going to focus on a lot of the soccer stuff, but it's, it's an incredible life story. And... Um, and we're going to get into some of that stuff. Right off the bat, though, you are a Manchester United fan. You are wearing a Manchester United pullover right now. Um, and it's great. And you're, you know, you've been a fan of this team for decades. How are you feeling about Manchester United? We won't talk about my book then. I uh, know it's perfectly. <laughs> how do I feel about Manchester United? Uh, basically frustrated. Yeah. Um, and but I've been frustrated since. Uh, first of all, um, I think as a real fan, uh, I've decided uh, basically there's sort of a, a gradation of fandom, and you know it starts out with acquaintance, allegiance, and so on, and uh, the last one is what I call affliction addiction <laughs> uh, 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 um, uh, circle, and I'm smack full in the affliction addiction circle, which means that you're actually never happy or you're happy only for spurts and for seconds. But even at the height of happiness, you already are worried about could it last, why it won't, what will happen in the transfer market. I remember um, being completely ecstatic in Berlin, going nuts when, uh, you know, uh, uh, we won against Bayern two to one in in Barcelona. I was watching this. And right after that, already, I'm kind of sort of wondering what will happen. And, and you know, so I'm, I'm only trying to fr- frame this that I've actually, uh, you know, the, my baseline, I'm always unhappy. Uh, so, or to use a Yiddishism, I'm always quetching. You're always <laughs> complaining, quetching. Um, and certainly um, since uh, Sir Alex left, um, and if one looks at it in the long term, I think it doesn't. Ma- it's of course makes sense that after such an amazing uh, sort of personality, an amazing guy leaves. I mean, we learned this from the studies of charisma. What ensues has to be a a whole always. Mm-hmm. I mean, whenever a, a great politician leaves, um, you watch after from Merkel now in Germany and so on. And there, there are. There is a hole, and so it, it, that shouldn't have surprised me. But it, uh, it doesn't mean it doesn't it doesn't make me le- less pained about it. But it, you know, into, there's a big there's Andy Markovitz, the intellectual on my Manchester United. Andy Markovitz, the fan, and the fan is frustrated, angry, above all hurt because, to add insult to injury, during this period in the wilderness, our most bitter rival or rivals. Uh, Liverpool and City are flourishing. So I would be a lot less upset were it, I don't know, Wolverhampton and, um, you know, even Chelsea or, you know, it's fine, Arsenal, whatever. But, you know, Liverpool and uh, City at the same time is very, very hard to take, especially for me, Liverpool, just because it has history and City ultimately still a newcomer. So in some ways, emotionally, I don't take them seriously. 
Um, and, you know, these things are of longevity, as we will discuss. I've been a fan since February 6, 1958. And um, with 58 being a huge soccer year for me in many ways. Um, so that said, um, I, you know, uh, the, the Europa Cup was fine. The FA Cup was fine. Um, I'm actually very pleased about those. I don't only think that there are only two cups, I mean, two trophies worthy of having. Um, but losing to Villarreal and, you know, a penalty shootout when you score 10, uh, it's actually very impressive. And that's just <laughs> bad luck. So I feel bad for Ole, actually, who, to whom I am a real fan. I always will love uh, precisely because of the aforementioned Barcelona event that I Correct. just described. Um Look, I, uh, I mean, you obviously want to talk about the current situation. I don't, I'm not in that camp of fandom who begrudges the presence of Ronaldo. Um, you know, who some people think that he is, uh, you know, he doesn't play full tilt. He can't play full tilt maybe at the age of 36. Um, I take Rangnick's point very, very seriously that he is one of the most fit 36-year-olds ever. So I'm, I'm sure he's fine there. And he's a goal scorer, the, the likes of whom we've never seen. Uh, by the way, I, I, let me just digress to, to, to show you how important your soccer presence is to me in everything. Your interview with Hernan Crespo, remember that? Yes. When you when you said when when he said I will never forget this when when somehow up came of course the comparison between Ronaldo and Messi, right? And Crespo turns to you and he says, "Messi is Federer, and uh, Ronaldo is 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 the uh, Nadal." End of story. You don't need to say more. One of them is this unique magician sort of person who is really a sui generis, and the other one is the greatest in what everyone else is doing. So to me, mm -hmm. Messi is not a, it's almost, he's not a soccer player. He's like a, he's, he, it's a different category. And Ronaldo <laughs> is the greatest forward ever to play. So um, that said, this digression into your uh, uh, piece there on, on, on Argentinian football, um, I think it's great to have Ronaldo. Um, I understand that, of course, it delays a little bit of Sancho's uh, uh, development and maybe Greenwood's as well. Um, but, um, you know, uh, it is what it is. And I'm, I mean, I, we're, we're woefully lacking with a good defensive midfielder. Um, somehow, um, our coordination doesn't, uh, you know, uh, against, uh, you know, Watford was just incredible. I mean, they were like, uh, completely out of it. I, I just, I, I don't quite understand that. It almost looked like they were sabotaging. I mean, somehow, which I doubt they were, but then again, I don't know. Uh, um, so basically I'm, um, you know, uh, a frustrated uh, uh, kind of guy who is biding his time and know that at some point still in my lifetime, United will return to its glory. <laughs> And what, do you, what do you think of Ralph Rangnick as, as an outsider coming in? I think that's. I think he is. If one has to have an outsider, um, I think he is. He is a good guy. I mean, he clearly knows the game. He clearly spawned phenomenal coaches. One of whom is, or actually two of whom are tormentors, uh, Klopp and and Tuchel, right? So he clearly is a great mind. Obviously, I think because of this, he also has immense authority. Now, does he have authority with a young 18-year-old today? I just don't know. I mean, I to, to, to you know, Greenwood, and, and, and I'm just picking these names, Greenwood and, and Sancho, maybe Rangnick means nothing. Or, or, you know, being of this sort of coaching pedigree of what school he comes from just doesn't mean anything. But I think it's a good call. Um, uh, you know, I actually, and this is getting into your territory and people who really, I mean, even though I, my life is completely entwined with this game, but ultimately I still think on some level, I don't quite understand it. And what I don't understand ultimately is the relationship of coaching to playing. I just mm -hmm. don't, I think, um, doing some comparative thoughts here, 
with other sports, even other football codes, foot, soccer, association football is the most improvised one. And it's the most, mm -hmm. it's the freest. And hence, to me, it is the most player dominated in my, uh, you know, from what I can tell in, in terms of obviously comparing to American football, rugby league, rugby union, Aussie rules. It seems to me that it's the most player dominated and the least coaching dominated. So it's, it's least about, I mean, with American football, exactly the opposite, where clearly, you know, the, the coach and the, the you know, the, the play calling is absolutely central. And so I just don't know, ultimately, what the relationship is of a great coaching mind and what the players produce on the field. Is that, uh, is that by dint of, is that by dint of discipline? Surely. Is that by dint of understanding? Uh, I'm sure of that too. I think it's probably less in my view of whether you play four, three, three, or, um, you know, to me, the game is more fluid than that. And so I just don't know, how much of the tactician part is really important here. So that's, that's my, those are my thoughts. It's interesting, though, because I've had this phrase come into my head recently in thinking about Ralph Rangnick's pressing style of play, which he is credited for sort of being the godfather of, you know, going back to the late 90s in Germany. Yes. yes. And Jesse Marsh, the American who just got let go by Leipzig, who had committed fully to the pure pressing Rangnick yes. style that he worked with at Red Bull over the last several years. And the term system quarterback came into my head, which is often used in the NFL to describe a quarterback in a particular kind of system. It's often yes. used as kind of a pejorative. Yes, suggesting, like game manager. Like game manager. In other <laughs> suggesting, words, basically, yeah. <laughs> suggesting that maybe this guy, this quarterback's not that talented, but he works well within the system set up by X coach. Yeah. And and I do wonder if there's some of that that we connect with Ralph Rangnick's system, with Jesse Marsh, even as a coach in Rangnick's system. Like he's good at that system, but how would he do under some other situation. I don't know. It's, it's something I'm noodling with in my head. Yeah, no, no, I think you're right. And interestingly to me that, that when you listen to the, the broadcasters uh, of, the, uh, of the English game on, on NBCSN, they often, obviously, maybe even only talking to American audiences, but uh, they have lots of references to American sport. Above all, they talk about the quarterbacking. But mm -hmm. I've heard it also used in England. Uh, mm. quarterback. I've even heard point guard. Some, in, <laughs> in other words, meaning meaning a player uh, who is sort of an Andrea Pirlo or mm. a Paul Scholes uh, comes to my mind uh, of this guy. This see this kind of uh, to me also uh, Tony Cross, whom I adore. I mean, in, in some ways, sort of. Uh, innocuous, uh, 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 but just completely in control and sort of, you know, like, like a phenomenal studio musician who only, whom the fans don't really know, but everyone in the know knows that this is the guy who really gives the band the sounds, like a George Martin, you know, to use the Beatles stuff now or, or you know, someone like that. And, and uh, by the way, United, I think, does not have someone like that. Mm -hmm. In other words, United woefully lacks a semblance of a skulls or a, or or a Pirlo or someone who has this um you know who has this sort of leadership uh, strategic guy who is actually the coach on the field you don't now, put how, bruno fernandez in that category you know yeah to you somebody uh, not he he was for a while but he lost it now i don't know he now some of my friends who uh, are speaking ill of Ronaldo say that Bruno lost this precisely this sheen of, of, of um, quarterback them or whatever uh, precisely because Ronaldo is, is in and it's in fact sort of uh, and I think I could see it's sort of an issue of a head case thing I mean you could see it's very clear you know it's Ronaldo who now takes the free kicks okay Ronaldo right. takes the penalties now so far very successfully but it's just no question he is the boss okay and maybe 
someone like Bruno, I just don't know, this has hampered him some, or he he feels, uh, uh, I don't think that's, uh, you know, he, he is that. But, um, but basically, um, you know, uh, who knows? I mean, look, uh, we're not playing again on Saturday. It's it's a disaster, this, this COVID uh, plague, this be, be, besetting you know befalling all of us is just horrendous on so many levels and you know i can't come visit you it's awful uh apart from the fact that yet again i'm not going to see united match this saturday morning um and uh you know but theoretically see let's have another talk uh, in three months after we, we theoretically we could have a phenomenal run now uh, because I think the first m- real major opponent, although that doesn't compute in the uh, in English Premier League, where, which is one of the reasons I love it so much, it's not quite the NFL any given Sunday, but it really is, uh, you know, uh, you got to play very hard against Norwich and you got to play hard against Burnley. And it's not, these are not gimmies like in the other leagues. And, uh, uh, but we do have sort of easy games all the way up to City. And we play City at the Etihad, where we play better than at home, which is weird, um, including the great victory when uh, Paul Pogba scored that phenomenal goal and then he punted the ball like 80 <laughs> yards <laughs> into the stands. Um, th- there, there, there goes a guy whom I just don't understand. I mean, I right. just, I mean, Paul Pogba to me would be all, everything that you you just, dis- or what we discussed, and he just didn't do it at City, at, at, at United. I don't know. Again, I just don't know enough about is it that he was ill coached? Is it that he didn't get along with them? Is it I just don't know. But clearly he is one of those rare players who's much better on the national side than on the club side. I mean, much better. And so there is some something is missing. Now, again, I just don't I, I. I don't know, and I I wonder whether the the pundits, the so-called pundits, really know much more than I do. Pogba's the Lucas Podolski of France, and I, I don't know if he's yeah. ever been compared to Lucas Podolski. But in terms of being much better for the national team, the the club level, there's your guy. You totally. And actually, I would add one more. Uh, Miroslav Klose. Yeah. Mir- Miroslav Klose was phenomenal in the in the in, in the Mannschaft and really mediocre with Bayern or or or. I mean, just not very good at all. And um, uh, so, yes, uh, that's exactly the Pogba situation. Now, with uh, with Podolski, I think he really did not get along with some of his coaches. Um, when he was at Bayern and even, I think, at Köln, uh, there was some rift and... And, you know, yeah, um, so um, to, 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 you know, United um, will always love it um, uh, forever, uh, dearly. And, um, you know, I, I just hope that uh, at least we maybe win the FA Cup this year. And who knows, we could go far in the Champions League. Uh, but, um, you know, you just, uh, but to, 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 to sum it up, my, my, my state of mind is one of, permanent sort of ill at ease worry um you know checking websites it's just bad stuff you know the last the last thing i'll say about united is that when you said that ronaldo is the greatest forward of all time i found myself nodding my head but thinking brazilian ronaldo ah um no 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 you very good point uh Oh, that's that. Uh, yeah, no question. Two thousand two, phenomenal. Uh, also with Barca, but no, I, 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 I and it's it's not. You know, I, you will hear later if we talk about it. You know, nineteen fifty eight was. Uh, it's one of three teams that I will always know by heart. The Seleção of fifty eight. So I love Brazil, but I, um, you know, I just don't think in terms of of uh longevity right and in terms of also when you think about it you know the clubs he played no i think I, i'm sorry i mean you know i'm sure we can this is wonderful barroom <laughs> talk but it's not uh you know ultimately this is also an issue of taste and per, but i really think um uh, the the portuguese and the man united ronaldo is superior to the brazilian ronaldo uh, but both are are, are 
you know, uh, unique. And Ronaldo will now surpass uh, um, Josef uh, uh, Bitsan's uh, record. Um, of, of, Which is of, what? Of, which is 805 or whatever and or whatever okay. 860 you know goals o officially i mean some people you know fifa sanctioned i mean okay. pele scored a lot more in goals that are somehow not fifa sanctioned so are outside the church uh you know are not are parts of iconoclastic or whatever but ronaldo will surpass him and i think that's uh, an amazing amazing feat um, you know just my my personal thing so as we start to talk about your book here, which I really enjoyed, could you give our listeners just a, a basic sense of where you're, where you were born, and and that sort of thing? Okay, uh, I was born in Timisoara in the western part of Romania, which was a very multicultural city at the time, uh, and even the the first chapters about our the house I grew up in. So they were the Hungarian. Lutheran, a Hungarian uh, uh, Calvinist, um, Romanian Orthodox, Romanian uh, uh, Catholics. Uh, we were the only Jews. Uh, and the language was Hungarian, um, Romanian, of course, also German. Um, and to add uh, further to it, we even had a Soviet colonel uh, live with us for a while, which I'm not going to go into, but because uh, it's a, it, that would be just in and of itself. Uh, so clearly, I grew up in the city, uh, growing up trilingually in a middle, upper middle class Jewish family, which meant that I was uh, the uh, you know the uh, the beneficiary of immense cultural capital. So I grew up with um, classical music, uh, you know, all of opera, Verdi, Puccini, all of it, Mozart, Beethoven, German literature um, galore. And interestingly, what I discuss in the book, what is so fascinating is that this was uh, perpetuated and upheld by a family whose, family was ravaged by the Holocaust. All my all the grandparents died in Auschwitz. Uh, my mother's uh, father died actually earlier. But her mother, my uh, father's parents, my father's siblings. Uh, so a, a Holocaust ravaged family, but yet if you were to have entered the Markovitz family in the early 1950s, you would have not known this because it was mm -hmm. all you know, Mozart, Beethoven, uh, 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 and, and, and uh, German poetry and philosophy and all this. And um, interestingly, the ones who were always derided and hated were the ones who actually saved their lives, namely the Soviets or Russians. And this then led me to develop the Markovitz theory of, East, of European relations that you dislike all your neighbors, but all to everyone to the East, you actually disdain and you look down on. And this is a wonderful case. How my parents had nothing but bad things to say about the Russians, about the Soviets, but both because of communism, but also because they were Russians. Mm -hmm. um, and that this fits Michael Mandelbaum, the, the, the great uh, political scientist in Washington who read the book. He said, Andy, um, uh, someone actually said that the reason uh, uh, fascism always became more popular in Europe than communism is because fascism was associated with the Germans and communism with the Russians. In other words, precisely the mark of its theory of that to the East, uh, it, you disdain. And um, uh, I always think sort of as a um, social democrat, what would have happened had Sweden conquered the world or, you know, Europe? I think we would all be socialists uh, uh, rather than rather, rather than the Soviets. It's a it's a it's a it was an issue as a problem. So I grew up in, in, in that world in which uh, my mother represented highbrow uh, capital. Uh, I learned piano, and she was uh, into the poetry and and the, the art and the culture and all that, coming from an upper middle class uh, assimilated Jewish family. She spoke beautiful German. And um, my nanny, of course, had to be German. German. We later on found out that she came from a horrible Nazi family, and she was a big Nazi. But my father told me in New York that this wouldn't have mattered to your mother, even if she probably knew it, because it, the only thing that mattered who had in town had the best view of most beautiful German diction. And that it was the, this person to really um, associate with Andy. And in this world was, of course, the world of my father, which was all football. 
Okay. And I mean, not only football, but obviously very much also into music and other things, but uh, less so, or at least my association with him was all, um, you know, trains and football and listening to um, the, the radio, a Blaupunkt, I will never forget the Blaupunkt radio right there. And we listened to uh, Romanian broadcast and of Radio Budapest. And that's when I got acquainted with the Hungarian uh, the Hungarian football of the 1950s and the Hungarian golden team. And so football and my father is just are inextricably linked. And uh, yeah. And so, so that's where I grew up. Then we left in 58, just very brief 58 uh, and uh, went to Vienna in Vienna. There was a nine year interregnum, so to speak, between before coming to the United States uh, uh, fully, but we actually arrived in the United States in 1960, and then my father decided to go back. And then I spent every summer in New York with my uncle. And uh, hence, by the way, interestingly, among the American sports, by far baseball, because I grew up on that and not football or basketball. So I really don't know football well at all. I mean, I know, of course, who the teams are and whatever, but I just don't. And it all has some it has something to do with that. And then um, started Columbia and uh, finished in 76 and then went on to Harvard and became a, a, a political scientist. And um, um, what the book also describes in many ways is that uh, in marginality um, or in being always different and also in some ways never anchored, um, I explained this in terms of my name and, and languages and so on and so forth. I always felt a lot of uh, joy in that. So I, I, I actually never felt, and I pick up on the word ruthless cosmopolitan, which was coined in 1946 by Andrei Zhdanov, and then led to this vicious anti-Jewish campaign on, at the end of Stalin's life. Um, which, who knows, had it been implemented, could have rivaled the Holocaust. Anyway, the point was the Jews were seen as completely unreliable because they were ruthless and cosmopolitan. And so this became a, a pejorative term, ruthless cosmopolitan. And I embraced it, and I embrace it all the time. And my only, uh, and that's why my only sort of root, root rootedness is I wish I could say that I'm a New Yorker, but I'm not a New Yorker. It's in my fantasy I'm a New Yorker, but I'm not. Or I wish I, I never would, in, in my dream, would call myself, uh, you know, someone from Boston, even though I lived there a long time, or even now from Ann Arbor. I'm now for, you know, 23 years at the University of Michigan. Uh, and so my ultimately, my home is sort of Nowheresville, USA, or, or in fact, my American passport, which yeah. I carry with me everywhere other than actually to the big house in uh, Michigan football, but then everywhere. And, and um, it's my, it's my uh, safety blanket. It's, you know, yeah. I'm like Linus who, who carries his blanket and I carry my U S passport, which in and of itself is a wonderful story because of course a passport is exactly the opposite of what signifies rootedness because it's right. after you use it to travel. So that's basically the book. And with so, a lot of soccer in it, yeah. Yeah, there's some great moments. Like there's these wonderful nuggets of soccer moments in your life in different times. And, you know, this even the story of the 1954 World Cup final and people who just became soccer fans recently won't know this, but Hungary was the best team in the world. Everyone thought that, they would proved it. Everyone thought they were going to prove it again in this final against West Germany, who they had beaten earlier in the tournament convincingly. And and they lost to West Germany. And and you listened to this on a radio with your dad. Yes. Uh, the Hungarian team, I just want to say, Grosic in gold. The back three is <laughs> Buzanski, Lorant, and Lantosh. It was actually three. And then the mid two midfielders were Bozic and Zakariash. And the five attack is Budai Kocic, uh, Hidekuti, Pushkash, and Sibor. Um, I will always know this team. Uh, what is interesting about this is that even though I know it, and of course we listened to the, this team dismantling of England, first at Wembley in 53 and, and uh, 63, and then back in the Name Stadion in, in, in Budapest, 7 to 1. 
we had my father and I had this amazing knowledge about the team and actually although we've never seen it because you think about it, this is all oral it's all you know i never saw these after the first time i saw pushkash was in in the beautiful blanco when he played for real madrid mm-hmm. okay um so in that great uh, final uh, against eintracht frankfurt seven to three at, at yep. hampton park in glasgow that's the first in 1960 that's the first time i see pushkar so anyway so we hear about all these guys and yet What's so interesting is that one would assume that we would have bespoke Hungarian at home, that we would be rooting for them. And my father wasn't. And Hmm. again, this is sort of the history of, of, you know, he to him, Hungary also was, it had some very, very bad moments of of anti-Semitism, of having rounding up his parents, of all kinds of bad stuff. So when we're listening to this on the radio and um and and George Sepeshi is a, the Hungarian broadcaster who, who became sort of really, really famous and actually cries. He's crying uh, with the Hungarians losing in the 83rd minute when Helmut Rahn scores the goal. And which, by the way, in Reiner Werner Fassbinder's movie, The A Maria Brown, The Marriage of Maria Brown, that's how the movie ends. You oh, hear wow. Zimmermann, Zimmermann, the, the equivalent of, 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 of uh, Sepeshi, the German broadcaster, is going, go, goes crazy, tor, 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 you know, and just goes crazy. And then the house blows up uh, in the film. And basically, that is the beginning of the Bundesrepublik Deutschland. That is the beginning of Germany's entry into the into the family of nations. This is what makes Germany, in as I have a whole chapter on it, devoted to my very ambivalent but very warm feelings towards the Bundesrepublik, not Deutschland, but to the Bundesrepublik. And it, that and this is the goal. This is the and in Hungary it leads to the fifty-six revolution. In Hungary, Hungarian football, and I would say even Hungary itself never recovered from this loss. Hungarian football never became anything close to what you described correctly in in the beginning as this known as the Oran Chapat, the golden team, the magnificent Magyars. Um, uh, The disenchantment was so high that uh, it's uh, I'm not the first to really conclude that the 56 Hungarian revolution um, in, in, in the fall of 56 starts with this loss. Um, namely that the regime is complete, already was hated, but now even here it fails. And of course, all kinds of stories that the Hungarian, the party insisted that someone play right wing rather than Budai, because he, his father was close to the party. In other words, that the party intervened, like they, by the way, did intervene a number of times when this Hungarian team played the Soviet Union. Now, this mm. we do know. Uh, that uh, it was suggested that they either lose or if they win by one goal, but nothing like don't hang seven on them like they did to the English. So clearly there was some politicization of this team, yeah. uh, but the loss is 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 immense. And anyway, and so my father and I are listening. And after we turn it off, my father says to me, and this is uh, epical, it's in the book. He says to me, this is totally irrelevant what happened here in this match. The only thing that will matter to you and should matter to you is that this is the birthday of the United States of America. It was on the 4th of July. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm six years old. I mean, looking at him like, what is this? And I knew nothing about America. And he just said something like, you know, this is the birthday of America. And God willing, one day you will go there and you will be, you will make it in America. And, and that's what happened. I mean, and th- so his conclusion from this match was not the match, but when it was played and what 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 meaning it had because of when it was played to us and our lives. And so that this is this this major match. It's a, it's a great story. I mean, and it, it's interesting to me that in the context of a World Cup final in 1954, that the, the U.S. obviously didn't even qualify for that tournament, that the takeaway would be it's July 4th. You're going to live in the U S I kind of love that. Um, And also too, you talked about 1958 uh, and that's Brazil's first title in the world cup. Pele 17 years old, leading them 
to victory. How did you consume that tournament? Well, let me actually say a few words about 58, because this is when we actually leave Romania uh, for the West, which at the time meant uh, you literally went to the Mar- to Mars because it was the Iron Curtain. You never knew when you would see it. Mean, it was a huge, huge thing. My mother died in February. So 50, let's start with 58. 58, uh, February 6th, we heard here through the Hungarian radio that an English team by the name of Manchester United crashed in Munich. And my father is very upset about Munich. And he tells me, which since then I've always hated Munich. He said, Munich was also the, the city where the Bewegung began, where the Hitler movement started in 1921. So not a good city. Okay. And this English team crashed. And, um, but we knew nothing. They, they were on their way back from Belgrade, back to Manchester, and they landed in Munich. Uh, in February uh, and uh, 44, uh, uh, it crashed and 23 people died. Among them, of course, some of the great, the Bosby babes. They were all right. young, and uh, Duncan Edwards and so on and so forth. Interestingly, um, we should have been Wolverhampton Wanderer fans. Why? Because the only player we knew back then in Romania was Billy Wright, who played all his life for Wolverhampton. And he was the great England captain. But so... But Manchester United crashes and I become a fan and I we started our thing and it's a lifelong, it's more than a love. It's a it's ties. It ties to me, Timishwara. In some ways, when I see United sometimes play, I really see um, you know, it's to me somehow back to my childhood and it's a completely crazy stuff. I mean, it has nothing to do with um so 58, um, uh, that happens first. Then my mother dies uh, on just shy of her 40th birthday mm. on May, May 17th. Um, and then um, Brazil wins the World Cup. But before Brazil wins the World Cup, my Stinza, my Timishwara team, my beloved Blues, where my father went every Sunday, finally actually wins the Romanian Cup. <laughs> and in fact, I will never forget this. Unfortunately, we would have won the double, but we lost on, on, on goal differential to Ploiesht, to a, another team in Romania, not a Bucharest team, which was sort of nice because we hated the Bucharest teams. And uh, But Tishtinza, it, it was its hype. It never been, never was there before, never after when it was really mm-hmm. important. So 58, m- my team wins one trophy, the Romanian trophy. Okay. Uh, it's number nine, Ion Ceausescu, um, not Ceausescu like the horrible dictator, but Ceausescu. Ion Ceausescu is the gold king on, in 1955 and 58. He actually scores and wins the top score of the league. And then the Brazilian team, um, which I also know by heart. And, 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 and because it's sort of, again, I can't see them because in Romania, we don't have television yet. Um, but I follow them. And above all, it has this 17-year-old who, you know, basically is nine years older than me, right? Um, uh, you know, f- amazing guy called Pele. Um, and uh, so then they destroy everybody. They destroy the Swedes in five to two. And this is, as I discuss in the book later on, this becomes sort of, for me, the conduit into, in some ways, African America. Because the first black anybody I see or recognize or hear or whatever is, in fact, Pelé. Yes, there were others. I mean, on the team, Didi is, is, is of course, also African, African Afro-Brazilian. Vava, in some ways. By the way, that team, of course, had one genius player who somehow is not known and should be up there with the aforementioned greatest of all, Mane Garincha. Mm-hmm. Garincha, the right wing of that of that of the dribbler. city Sao. what great dribbler oh and one and one uh foot was shorter than the other yeah was, uh, he yeah, walked I mean, in a weird way right yeah yeah absolutely um he died it's a, one of the i mean just an amazing 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 player played for botafogo um actually there were three botafogo players on the Selesau. he didi and uh, Man, um, uh mario zagallo Mm-hmm. who is actually with Beckenbauer, the only one who is not only a World Cup winner as a player, but also as a coach. Mm-hmm. And Mario Zagallo, and in 1962 or three, they actually came to Vienna 
and played uh, against the Vienna All-Star team. This was actually fairly common at the time that you had a city All-Star teams, and I got their autograph. Uh, this was the this was the, the 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 Botafogo team. By the way, also black and white uh, jerseys, yeah. very, very much like uh, similar to Juve. Yeah, and so uh, Pele, a crucial figure to me. Um, I see him for the first time when Santos comes to Vienna, also around 64, 65. They also play against the Vienna All-Star thing. And then, of course, in 58, we leave for uh, we leave Romania and there is this incident at the ra- at the train at the at the border between Hungary and Romania where it was touch and go whether we would let go and uh, my only possession namely my teddy bear is destroyed by this border guard but in the meantime um, my father is being interrogated in the sort of or talk in the police station and, and I'm sitting on this train you know a nine-year-old boy and, and what comes to the rescue this sweet soldier with whom I talk about Stinza. The only thing, we, and we talked for, I don't know what seemed to me like hours about, probably it wasn't hours, but half hour, talked about Stinza. We just won the cup. This is wonderful. And he was a, a, a Stinza fan. And it was just the best. I mean, soothing. Yeah. And this is, I end the book by giving amazing uh, sort of kudos to people who are not friends, who actually who don't even know me, who really influenced my life immensely. And this is this soldier is yeah. one of them. That's and awesome. So, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, we talked Stinza all the time. <laughs> and then we arrive in Vienna on September 4th, 5th. We start elementary school. We live in this, cult. I mean, it's a horrible situation. We're basically refugees. And then on October 1st, my father he doesn't have much money, but he wangles a ticket to see Sport Club against Juventus in a in the champion league uh, round uh, in in the early rounds Austria in, in sport and we go to the Vienna Stadion and again never forget it open huge I mean, again coming from Timisoara I didn't see a night game ever and Sport Club destroys Juve seven to nil. And um, I will not uh, bore you with, because this is the, the other team that, whose name I will never forget, the sport group team, never. And these are, it's interesting, as a 10-year-old, somehow there are no other things on your mind, and you've got to just store these amazing teams, and you will never forget them, ever. I can't, I can't, I can't tell United today. I just wouldn't, but you know, or or or, but these 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 names stick with me. And Sport Group defeats Juve. Juve was, by the way, very good uh, with Omar Sibori and and uh, this guy Boniperti. And by the way, they too are black and white, uh, very yeah. similar to to Botafogo. And I become kind of a Sport Club fan uh, by virtue of this game. Uh, in Vienna. So while, while we stay in Vienna, we, my father and I pretty much spend every Sunday going to games and games and games. And, and at that time, the Austrian league was basically a Vienna league. All 10 teams of the Austrian premier division were all Viennese. Hmm. Uh, this changes by the mid 60s. And now there's never a Viennese team. I mean, now right. of course, it's always Red Bulls up, but even before it was Linz and Graz and Innsbruck. But now, of course, it's all Salzburg. I just looked it up. They won 15 tam- titles already. I mean, they're just dominant, like Bayern or something. Uh, but at the time, it was all Vienna. And we went to these uh, grounds and saw all these uh, games uh, following uh, the, all these teams, which was uh, our, that was my Sunday's pleasure. And then Monday and school, I was somehow became the the grand wall, so to speak, avant l'époque. Basically, in the mo- in the morning, I always kind of interpreted the games to mm-hmm. my, my other kids, and I just knew all of them. And I was I was like the, the soccer guy, uh, you know, and 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 uh, um, which uh, you know, um, and and the, the the game is also crucial for me in Timisoara, where I become the the king of our street and others in something called button football which is these uh buttons that um, were cut off and then they they are glide you glide them on a table and the ball is either an aspirin or a smaller button and you play this and you're not allowed to 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 drag the you have to really literally flick uh, the buttons you can't drag them and so this was also um way before foosball became important 
So it's uh, all over the place. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really cool soccer story. I mean, you also, when you were in Vienna later on, your dad got two tickets for the European Cup final uh, between Real Madrid and Inter. And so this is 1964. And it's interesting because I had a somewhat similar situation where I grew up a... Kansas University of Kansas basketball fan and they got to the NCAA final in 1988 and they win it and they win it and I chose to watch that game not with my dad who I had watched all of the Kansas games with over the years but rather with a friend at my friend's house and I to this day regret not watching that game with my dad and my mom and you end up not going to the champion or the European Cup final in Vienna with your dad who got the tickets. You took your girlfriend. Please, you have to rub it in. Horrible. <laughs> this guy, I, 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 at least I tried myself in the chapter. This also, I mean, the, the, the book is really an homage to my father. And this is sort of one example. The other one, which I never forget, is that in 1960, when we arrived in New York, just like when we went to the Sport Club Juve match, very quickly, my father decides to go to Yankee Stadium because he sort of understood that for a young boy to learn, like, soccer was important for me in Europe, I should learn. him, And, uh, you know, and I... And I actually do learn baseball by virtue of him, but he, of course, never does. And he sits there, you know, to the, you know, God, you know, bless his soul. He was probably bored to tears, but, you know, he sits there for three or four hours and watches the Yankees, I think played Baltimore Orioles. And because of this, and so in this context, my father finally gets a ticket to the 64 uh, Champions League final between, and I uh, have my first sort of real girlfriend, Daphne Scher, whom I meet in this Jewish uh, youth club. And um, I unbelievably, I mean, just uh, it's pathetic. I, I basically abuse my father's uh, inordinate love for me. And I basically ask him whether I can take Daphne to this game. And he says yes. Which and, is, and, she, and she didn't really want to go, by the way. No, no, no. She didn't want to go. Well, she went. And then, of course, as you know, the, I mean, she wears high heels. And, and you know, with this, it's it's just, it's, it's nuts. I mean, she didn't know anything. She didn't know who Real was, who Inter was. Like She was actually very into much into politics. So I remember she. by the time we get to the game, she really hates Real because I tell her all about Franco <laughs> and fascism. But actually, I, I really want to talk more about Pushkash and Di Stefano, not Franco and fascism. And she's asking me about this battle and that battle and you know what really happened and of course the phalanche and i said daphne it's yeah they're fascist but they're, it's they're just football players anyway so this is with whom i'm going and you know my father may he write you know it doesn't go and it's just an out outrageous story um um adding insult to injury i think we break up six weeks later uh um you know, and the only good thing was that when Sandro Mazzola scores his first of uh, two uh, an Inter wins, this was the Real already declining big time. You know, by 64, there this is sort of the end of uh, of the 56 to 60 Real. Um, uh, you know, Sandro Mazzola scores this, you know, wonderful goal. And I just turn and give Daphne this passionate kiss, which I otherwise would have not dared do. And, you know, so I will all forever remain grateful to Sandro for this amazing goal, but still she didn't, shouldn't have come there. And I feel very, very bad. Uh, thank God in 1987, um, I invited my father in Vienna when Porto played Bayern. Uh, and Porto wins in Vienna in 1987, three years before of his before his death. So we went to a European Champions final. Um, uh, I actually wanted him to come to watch Ajax against Panathinaikos at Wembley in 1971 uh, with me, but he somehow couldn't fly to London, so I went by myself. I flew in from New York to London and then onward to Vienna. And so I've been to three Champions League finals um, uh, and at least one with my father. But I went to okay. World Cups with him. Yeah. I mean, you went to the 74 World Cup in Germany. You went to the 82 World Cup in Spain. Um, I guess one question I have for you is just 
How different was it, the experience, the actual sport itself? Like, how much did it change over the years? And how does all of that compare to today when you travel to a game in Europe at a big club? Well, I mean, maybe the comparison should be, I mean, the World Cup is a little different because it's about nations. But uh, um, uh, I mean, uh, let, let me compare it more to the 2006 World Cup, which is the last one I saw. And again, I, I only watch you at World Cups and, uh, and that, that is su- sufficient for me because you just do such a great job. Are you, you're going to Qatar, I assume. I will be there, yes. Yeah, of course, of course. So, I, I, um, I mean, it's, it was Little League in 74. Compared, let's take two Germans. Since I'm a political scientist, we always love to compare you know, as we like to hold as much constant as possible. So here we hold Germany, con- you know, the, the, the location constant. We can So we compare 74 to 2006, a completely different world. Um, uh, 74 was still um, kind of not puny, but not the same uh, massive. I mean, there were no what the Germans call, I hate that, public viewing in English. And I would say, hmm, who died? You know, public viewing is, you know, I have no idea who actually came up with this, why they could not use a couple of good German, why they use the English public viewing. And I always tell my German friends, you know, this is a very, has a very different meaning in English, just like the word handy does and all this. I always find this fascinating when these things are trying. So there was no public viewing. There was no, it was still much more male that I Mm. recall. No question. Much more male. Um, by 2006, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an event. It's like, uh, uh, you know, a show. So it includes women and children, which is good. I mean, it's much more, it's much more reported in, in, you know, it's much more followed. It's much more in Germany for, of course, it was the first time that the flag becomes acceptable in 2006. You see lots of Schwarzer, you know, black, red, gold flags uh which you didn't in 1974 still hmm. um uh so uh, uh i mean 74 i went to a number of games in berlin and then uh i saw the holland brazil game which was amazing um and of course i become this as many of my german friends of my kind of friends become kind of uh, Dutch fans because they are this counterculture team. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the first to kind of stand by the the anthem in sort of more relaxed way. I mean, the anthem. That's another thing, by the way. Actually, I'm starting a project on this. The whole thing about the 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 sort of the the the, the uh, kind of fanatization of the anthem that over the last few thing years has become insane. I mean, the way they all sing. and I mean, when the Brazilians sang the anthem against Germany uh, in, in Belo Horizonte when they lost seven to one, I'm not surprised. I mean, they were, they were, they were going, I mean, they were nuts. They were not singing an anthem. <laughs> and they had uh, Neymar's shirt. <laughs> yes. they, they held Neymar's shirt as a, yeah. like an icon. I mean, and, and this, this sort of obsessive singing and, and the nationalism has gotten much worse, I would argue. But, but we like it when Italy does this, right? You know, I, uh, yeah, but uh, I actually like Spain because, of course, their national anthem doesn't have, doesn't have lyrics. <laughs> uh, and so uh, they can't continue, can't carry on like this. But this whole, and, and the Dutch were the first to actually not stand at it. No one sang then. No one mm-hmm. sang. Uh, the Brazilians, I think you, I have to use uh, uh, YouTube for this. The Brazil, the first team that I have located so far, are the Brazilians in 82, who sing the anthem, but also mm-hmm. not in a forced way. They sing it. By the way, Antonu, the best Brazilian team of all time. Socrates, Facao, um, unbelievable. Zico, oh, Oh, um, 82, 82, 82. Yeah. the best. I mean, they were just, they were poetry. And, you know, that's why I hated the Italians. I mean, they just literally <laughs> killed them. And you know what they did to Maradona? And I'm not, a, you know, it was just, this was not acceptable. I mean, they literally, you know, they, 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 they killed him. I mean, that was not so horrible. I, at 82, I went to the France-Germany game in, in Seville. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, when Schumacher ruins the life of Batiston again, and he never apologizes for this. Um, really, really outrageous. Um, so, uh, but I, this is not a good. So anyway, I would say uh, the nationalism becomes higher as we go on. Mm. It becomes more precisely because more people are involved, maybe, but it's a, a, it becomes this uh, more acted upon the singing. Uh, um, I, I kind of, this was not the, I, I just going actually to the semifinal between Italy and Germany in, in Dortmund in, in, in 2006, Whew, not a, I mean, very, very nasty, very uh, high octane. And di I did not sense any of this when I saw the German team in 74 okay. and even in the final in Munich, um, it was Berlin, not, right? excuse or, me? Or, or are you talking about the 74 final? Or the, the 74, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, okay. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry, the 74 final. Uh, 2006, it was not Germany in the final. But 74 right. final, um, you know, when uh, Holland scored too early and uh, to my great uh, chagrin, of course, uh, loses the, 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 the game. Even though they, they're, they, they and the Hungarians, uh, Grant, and I've, I've, I've seen this written up in a couple of, you know, I read all this stuff and I forget now where, but the two... The two best teams never to have win win a trophy, the right. Dutch and the Hungarians. That's fair. Uh, the Dutch and the Hungarian on the national side, not club side. The national side, right? Yeah. But I mean, like Hungary got to one final and uh, Holland to got, two, three, uh, three, right? So 2010, yeah, uh, 78, 74. And 74. Yep. 2010, just as well, they didn't lose. I mean, they didn't win. Uh, they were against <laughs> some butchers playing there. Uh, you know, horrible. So the good, but in 2000, 1974 and 1978 with the Naskins and and uh, Johnny Renzebring and of course the one and only Johann Cruyff, who um, should be better known than he is. Anyway, that's just a side sidebar. Um, a great, 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 great player. Um, so um, that's how I, I. But they, these were amazing events, and above all, I will always associate them with my father. Um, and um, just wonderful, and I cannot wait uh, to have the World Cup. Oh, and of course, I went to the 1994 World Cup here, right. and I, I I saw both Boston and and Stanford. I commuted between the two, more or less, and uh, so which was also great. Um, uh, it's pretty incredible, different. actually. Yeah, I mean, it, like 2026 is coming to the United States along yeah. with Mexico and Canada. Most of the games are going to be in the United States. And I think it's going to be a special moment for any of us, including you and me, who followed soccer in the United States over the decades, just to see that growth and that progression. Um, and and even to see um, just how the media treats it differently, because I know you've studied this quite a bit, but like... Um, I don't know if you saw the column recently by Brian Phillips in The Ringer, and he was sort of quoting some of these Frank DeFord stories, yeah. Dan Shaughnessy, you know, like the some of the things that have been said by prominent American sports writers. Tony Kornheiser. Over the years about soccer and just how ludicrous so much of this stuff looks now. And and in a way, it 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 does look ludicrous because we're in a different place now. Yes, totally. And I'm so delighted that at the end of my, I still hope that in, you know, before I leave this earth, the U.S. gets into a semifinal and on the uh, men's know, side. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. I, 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 I plead guilty, of course, on the men's Cause you, side. Because you and I have been to Women's World Cup games together, yes. including yes. Dresden in 2011 when and, and, Abby Wambach's goal won a miraculous game or put sent it to penalties that they eventually won miraculous comeback. Oh, I will never forget that. I mean, the the the, the, the cross from Rapinoe to, to, to Wambach, yeah. one of the all-time greats. No, actually, I wrote a book on women's soccer. So I, 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 I plead uh, guilty for not thinking of it at this particular juncture but i was in the in the male groove of the male world uh and that's what i mean and i think uh, um uh the women have been phenomenal but in some ways as i argue in the book in some ways they've been so phenomenal precisely because the men were not okay in, in other words the, the the men left the women this space to flourish in and it was just not 
you know, it was not, it was, they left it, it was uncontested. So I'm hoping that, you know, it will, and, and, you know, that, that there will be, um, you know, not only a great semifinal and, um, you know, uh, with, with some great American stars, already there are some, and, and, you know, look, um, uh, I see the world in sort of semi-periphery, periphery, semi-periphery and core. And the core of soccer is clearly uh, the five leagues in, in, in Europe. And the United States used to be um, the periphery. And now we're the semi-periphery, which is a lot better, meaning that we are, are connected to the core. We are supplying um, uh, uh, players uh, like the semi-periphery supplies labor to the core countries, and uh, and um, which means that we're much more relevant, and that's this is great. I mean, you know, who would have thought that an American is now playing regularly in places like Juve and Chelsea and 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 uh, and Barcelona, and not only keepers but in fact field players. I mean, this right. is. Which is amazing because, of course, that we have great keepers bespeaks the fact that all major American sports are played with hands, and so we—it's not by you know coincidence that Casey Collar and 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 Tim Howard and all the others are great goalies. Um, but uh, you know, it's 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 wonderful to see, and I'm convinced that um, at some point, um, uh, you know, in the next 30, 40 years, uh, MLS will be um, the equivalent of, uh, you know, of uh, the Premier League or, or, or absolutely, um, you know, I'm, again, I don't know the, the time frame, but it's also so hard because, of course, the American sports calendar and the sports field is so cramped. I mean, you know, it's, it's just uh, brutal, but um, soccer... It's it's great. Andy Markovitz has a new memoir out called The Passport as Home, Comfort in Rootlessness. Andy, congratulations on the book. Thanks for coming on. We'll do it again, as you know. Thank you so much, Grant. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Andy Markovitz as well as producer Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. I really appreciate your support. See you next time.